Join Raise the Line in celebrating the launch of the new Osmosis Clinical Sciences Library. Developed for first-time clinical learners, it includes hundreds of visually engaging videos paired with decision-making trees aligned to U.S. core clerkship curriculum guidelines to help students think clinically from day one to patient one. Start your free trial today at osms.it rtl. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Curries, welcoming you to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and health care. One silver lining of the COVID-19 pandemic is a jump in enrollments in public health degree programs at both the bachelor's and master's levels. In fact, applications to graduate-level public health programs across the country grew about 40% during the pandemic. According to a study out last year by the Association of Schools and Programs of Public Health, one factor driving that surge is a newfound awareness among young people of the systemic health disparities that impact their communities and that public health is a field focused on structural reasons for health. To learn more about the field in general and master's degree programs in public health specifically, we're joined today by Dr. Jan K. Carney, a leading figure in Vermont's medical and academic community with a significant national footprint as well. Dr. Carney is Associate Dean for Public Health and Health Policy and Director of the Master of Public Health Program at the University of Vermont's Larner College of Medicine. She served as the state's Commissioner of Health for 14 years, during which she highlighted children's health insurance, teen smoking, and cancer screening, among other issues. Nationally, Dr. Carney is a member of the Board of Regents of the American College of Physicians, which is the largest medical specialty organization and second largest physician group in the United States. And thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So we always like to start with learning more about our guests and what first got them interested in medicine, and then, of course, in your case, also public health. Well, all right then. My interest in medicine started when I was in elementary school. I had a teacher whose husband was a, a medical intern at that time, and so she would tell us about all the medical adventures she was hearing about in her life, and I became very interested. I remember specifically learning about and hearing about all aspects of science. And so I became extremely interested in science and medicine and decided and told my mother that I was going to be a doctor when I got older. My father was a dentist and and he often, part of his practice that he had for about 40 years was, was making people feel better and, and relieving their pain. And so I think a combination of a love of science and that later grew into understanding more about medicine and healthcare and and just basically wanted to help people and like like many people start out going into the profession but but that's where i started and kept going and when did you decide to take the academic route and then further getting into leadership in in an academic setting so i didn't discover public health actually till i was all the way through four years of medical school. I did four years of internal medicine residency, three years, and then I was the chief resident my final year. And so I'm an internal medicine specialist. And then, then I, I was seeing patients and ended up in a medical conference. And there was something about preventive medicine and public health. And I 
hmm, what's all this? And one thing led to another. And then I ended up going to public health school and getting a master in public health. And that was, for me, the aha moment of my career. And I love medicine. And I loved working with patients. But what I discovered was there was this whole other science that I really had no clue about that could prevent disease and illness in entire populations. And it was a little bit of who knew and why haven't I learned about this yet? And so I, I delved right in, got my master's degree, came back to, came back to Vermont and was determined to look for any opportunities in public health. And, and right, right pretty soon after that, about a year after I became the deputy health commissioner, then a year following the commissioner of health for the state where I worked for three different Vermont governors, both Democratic and Republican, and just had the amazing experience and opportunity and awesome responsibility for public health in this wonderful state. So that that's that's how I ended up there. And at the end of that time, I'd always been, I think that when you're I don't know. I think a lot of physicians or nearly all physicians think of themselves as we're teachers. You know, we we might teach people one at a time. We might teach students in a classroom or in a in a small group. But I was always on the faculty teaching while even when I was a state health commissioner. And then in 2003, I came back to UVM uh, to the College of Medicine full time. And then started my work to bring graduate public health education, well, public health education more to our medical students, and then graduate public health education as its own discipline here to the university. So at the beginning of your career, was it unusual for an academic medical center and college of medicine to have public health programs? If you were in medical education, you really didn't, they just, it just wasn't a big part of medical education when when I was in medical school and I think that's you know that's changed that's changing rapidly now and has changed in the past mm, 10 20 years and part of it is you, you think about the evolution of our health systems right now it used to be we'd have people in solo practice or independent practice my father was a dentist and and he was all by himself in his office for 40 years and but that's changed. And now we have, first we had larger physician groups and and now you have more health systems that might have hospitals and lots of physicians and nurses. And it's, and it's really healthcare is more of a team sport, I would say, than it used to be. And also some of the, the configurations cover geographic areas, the accountable care organizations, the large academic health networks might encompass a smaller hospital and lots of physician practices across a broader geographic area. So all that lends itself to, you know, when we talk about public health and population health, sometimes with it, it refers to population health management is how do you take advantage of a large number of patients in a geographic area and leverage both higher quality care, also preventive medicine and better preventive care. And so if you think about that on a practical level, 
electronic health records, or you can look and see what percentage of your of your patients has an annual flu shot or or has their pneumonia vaccine and certainly for childhood vaccines, things like that. So I would say there's more, our systems have changed. That's one factor in terms of thinking about the population. And also many of the issues that we have now, I would say public health issues, they just really intersect medicine and public health. And I, I feel like many days I have one foot in public health and the other foot in medicine and and they're all connected. You know, you can think about many such issues like that that we're dealing with today. Yeah, well, right. Beyond the pandemic, you've got chronic conditions like diabetes right. and right. asthma, all the environmental issues. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's a, that's a nice big picture look at the whole thing. So what's your elevator pitch, as they say, when you're talking to young people who might be interested in pursuing a career in public health and also getting an advanced degree? Public health has never been more important. And we just are hopefully on the backside of that global pandemic, but that doesn't mean there might not be something else just right around the corner. And some of the some of the things that the negatives and the, the terrible things that we learned in the pandemic was that our public health systems need a lot more strengthening. You know, and, and people talk about cycles of panic and neglect, right? We, we really, it's really hard to be, and that's human nature. It's really hard to be prepared when nothing's happening. You go, well, nothing's going to happen. So we'll just kind of coast along and, and then, then something happens and, and you may not be ready. We can't afford to do that. The consequences are just too great. We saw in our own country, in addition to the, a horrendous impact in terms of illness, death, long COVID, just just horrible situations for patients and families and and communities that that access to healthcare is not universal in our country and remains very uneven and health remains determined by zip code. And I think we also saw that our history of systemic racism and vast health inequities were also greatly magnified during the pandemic in many individuals and communities and and, and populations that was you know that was that was the dark side you know on the was there anything positive well we learned that we can use telehealth so let's keep using it and Think about a rural state like Vermont. I work with a lot of colleagues in northern New England and New Hampshire and Maine. And and I did a lot of work during the pandemic with United Way and our United Way organizations to try and determine what were those pri- what were the worst priorities and what could we do to help? And so access access to healthcare at one point we're all shut down, but then access to mental health services, access to substance abuse treatment, access to healthcare for rural populations is always challenging, was even more challenging. And telehealth and our medical students did a did a project on this to talk to both health professionals and patients. And everyone thought very highly of telehealth. So think about how can we continue to use this to 
to help make healthcare more accessible to more people. For us, it's sometimes it's the travel and the winter roads or the, the mud in the spring, but it's also transportation in rural areas. It's also making it more just accessible or easier for more people in more communities to get counseling or substance use treatment. It gives you another option. So I'm hopeful that we can can remember that and keep keep expanding that in the areas where that makes sense. Another area I just mentioned is that I just I continue to marvel at how fast they were able to develop vaccines related to COVID. And we just saw another RSV just come out and said vaccine development. Really? That was phenomenal. And then on the public health side, getting those out to people. And I understand that not everyone is in total agreement about our need for all these and, and those sort of political controversies, I'll, I'll call them. The, those remain. I, it was just it was just an amazing scientific feat that just helped so many people. So, you know, that that was a really good thing. The other thing that happened, which was unfortunate and made me very sad, was in some locations here in Vermont, I think that the 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 teamwork and the collaboration between our our Department of Health and people in healthcare and the university and our community organizations was just, it couldn't have been better. And I really attribute how well we actually did, despite all, all the illness that we saw and all the terrible consequences for many people, we, we gave it our best. And I was really very proud of how we did that. In many areas of the state, that wasn't the case, and of the country, that was not the case. And in some, in some places, people who worked in public health just were almost vilified, but really not appreciated in any way. I think that big picture here is that organizations like the DePaulmont Foundation published a report in 2021 that said, sort of over the last decade before that that the number of full-time personnel in public health, local state health departments, public health agencies across the country had declined by about 15%. And based on, based on their projections, working with some others, that we really need probably an 80% increase, 80,000 more people working in public health, maybe two-thirds of those in local health departments, maybe a third of those in state health departments to have the basic essentials of public health. So we have a huge workforce need. That's what public health has never been more important. The, the issues are so challenging. And we could, if, if we can talk a little bit about the kinds of education you get in public health that helps you, helps you address that. Yeah, I did, I did want to get to, to that issue, I mean, you talked about telehealth increasing access to healthcare, but online learning also has increased access to education. Yes. And you've got an online yeah. program there at Larner. So why don't you tell us about the program, what you think differentiates it? We started in about 2011 developing the program. When I came here from my previous work at the Department of Health, everyone started asking me, 
when are we going to have an MPH program? And we didn't have one. And so people working in public health who are aspired to work in public health or clinicians who want to learn those skills, there was, you had to actually go someplace. So we talked to a number of people. I worked in partnership with UVM's continuing distance education. They were just absolutely fabulous. And the, and the graduate college. And so we, we talked to students and people in the, who wanted the education and we decide, decided, made a strategic decision to, to develop an asynchronous online program. Everything was going to be asynchronous online. This was before the pan, way before the pandemic, before any everybody went. Oh my goodness, we have to do this online. So what what came out of that was, in order to do that, you had to have a a, a platform to do that, and then you had to start thinking about how do you do active learning because we sort of have in medical education certainly and in most kinds of education moved away from the the stand and lecture and and people are doing something else with their computer screen to something that's way more active and engaging and so we had to think about how do we how do we do that in an online environment that you don't have you could be on everyone at the same time but you don't have to be and so we started to experiment with some innovative discussion platforms and we use those and students really like them and the concept of a lecture is it's you you should not see one longer than 15 minutes and there's pre-learning and and short video inst instructor videos and quizzes to assess your readiness and lots of sort of smaller chunks of learning and assessment to keep building your fund of knowledge and your skill set or your competencies in these different domains of public health. I think that I think that the, the team that we've assembled here, we have instructional designers who are just amazing. Our faculty are amazing. Our faculty are both full-time faculty and we have part-time faculty who work in very broad domains of public health like the department of health or like in environmental public health or epidemiology i have two public health veterinarians who 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 help us with one health and uh, zoonotic diseases and think about no let's not think about our next pandemic but you know in these different domains so there's epidemiology and biostatistics you have to learn the math and then there's environmental public health. Think about climate change and all, all about that. We have social and behavioral determinants of health. So think about our habits and behaviors and how we, in healthcare, we think about influencing those one at a time. In public health, we step back and say, what are the practices, policies, programs? What can we do? to influence, for example, tobacco use. A good good example of that would be if you hike the price of cigarettes, it's like a brick wall in front of young people who are just experimenting with them. So in all likelihood, they won't, all right? So think of a variety of strategies, but alcohol falls into that category. Cer certainly all addictions and opioid addiction and and also think about the habits and behaviors we're trying to promote, like people having 
enough food and access to healthy food and also um, being physically active, which are, these are the predictors of longevity in our population too. So habits and behaviors. And then we, of course, learn about our public health systems and our healthcare system and how we relate. So there's five broad domains. And then that's sort of very traditional, but then if you think about today's practice, you know, one of the ones that, that just cuts across that, we have things like advocacy, but communication. So, so think about how people get information, but think about all the misinformation that we just have been experiencing. And so in public health, learning to be excellent communicators, whether that's in writing or or to a group or to individuals. And then on a population level, what are some of those strategies we can use to try and counter some of that misinformation um, that unfortunately is out there? So I'll, I'll stop there, but those are kind of the broad areas of public health. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And that's what makes it kind of an appealing career choice because you can go in all of those different directions and each one of them is incredibly important. You know, Vermont is a very rural state. You touched on that before. What what do you do to help prepare folks to operate in that environment with all of its challenges? As you asked that question, some of our medical students did a project at last spring and worked with a community organization, Wyndham County, to try and, and you know, healthcare access is a huge issue in the rural areas. And and so they asked a question of from medical students and nursing students, you know, what is it? What is it that might attract you to a to a rural location? And the, the answer that we got was having experience in a rural location. So we have to we have to give whether you're in healthcare or public health people that experience because I think that you can't just read about it or study about it or learn about it in the abstract that you have to be able to experience and problem solve you know how do you how do you know about that the health of that community and what are the different factors from those different domains that we just talked about how how can i make a difference here you know in public health i think about sometimes connectors so as an example, community health workers who are not necessarily doctors or nurses or formally trained in, in healthcare to that intensity can connect people from in communities to things like cancer screening, health education, preventive services, all kinds of things. You know, that might be a public health kind of a, approach to doing that. Another thing I might mentioned and which is a, a focus of my research right now is about is around health communication and health health literacy health communication but here's the idea is think about how we all got information or tried to get information during the pandemic and it was sort of it was coming at us and it came from government agencies and health departments it might have come from the news you know the media or social media. It might come from the hospital or academic health center. It might come from university faculty, on and on and on. But if, when I think about that, I think it's all, it's one way. It's one direction. It's from us to you. Hmm. So 
my question was, you know, how do we know that that's the right way to communicate or that people want to receive that important and potentially life-saving health information in that way? So one of the things we did when we we worked with the United Way uh, about six months into the pandemic and and we did an electronic survey. We asked people about about how they, you know, first of all, was there enough health information reaching them? And of course there wasn't, particularly in the rural areas. But also, you know, were there differences if you were in a in a rural area of Vermont or if you were in our I use the term loosely, urban center in, in, in Burlington. And the answer was yes, people people in Burlington and Chinden County wanted to receive health information through the internet and, and Front Porch Forum, our networking platform. And people in the rural parts of our state want, still like word of mouth, but really like their town papers and Facebook. And so, and these were all, yes, and they reached statistical significance. And so, so we were like, hmm, maybe we should think about this a little bit differently. If you think about, if you're getting that important evidence-based scientific medical and health information out to the public, maybe we should start to make sure that it's, we're sending it in the way they want it. And that we can start to, to think about more like two-way communication, more you think about a conversation as opposed to kind of one-way, you know, one-way information flow. So so we're trying to actually trying to to do that now with a in one of the grants that that I'm working on. And we're working with some older Vermonters in support and services at home, SASH program specifically around COVID vaccines and, and the booster shots and just asking, what do you want to know more about this area? And then then how would you like us to present that or, or offer that to you? And, and, and what they've been telling us is, you know, we just, we basically, we want a, a one pager. We want it to be fun and have cartoons. We want it to be from reputable sources like our health department or the CDC. And we want the font to be big enough. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, this is great. Well, so so here it is. And so we're sort of in the process of, we've been pilot testing that idea and we're about ready to, to offer that same information to some more people to to further refine that but that's that's the concept anyway and it might look different for different places and rural versus not versus depending on you know where you live and and maybe what your age is but the idea of maybe maybe perhaps maybe that we could cut through some of this misinformation if we start to think about presenting our science and health information in a way that people want. Yeah. Know your audience, right? Right. So it just seems like communication science is really becoming integral to the science of medicine and public health. Yeah. It's kind of unavoidable. We just have a couple minutes left. We always like to end with having our guests provide their go-to advice for an audience of learners, particularly how to meet some of these 
huge challenges at this moment. What's your advice for folks navigating through all of that? If you're a student and any of this that we've been talking about interests you, find out more. And, you know, you can you can go to our website and you can learn about the kind of content and and where that leads you. You know, everyone now, the, the good news is everyone knows what an epidemiologist is. And there's lots of opportunities. And the science and practice of, of public health is extremely important. It's also very practical. So, you know, learn more about it if you might be interested. And what we have here and what is available is, is students or anybody can take a course, not as a degree student, and try it out. We are in the process of, and we hope we'll have them offered by the first of the year, of these three course packages of areas of public health that are called micro certificates of graduate study, so that you can you can learn a chunk of public health and see if that's something that is right for you. Or might complement, you know, for example, if 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 you're a nurse or if, or if you're in medical school, if these are the kinds of things that might help you broaden your view of the world to include populations and might resonate with you. Yeah, that's interesting. Stackable credentials has become a trend as well. That's right. So a lot of options, a lot of flexibility. And if folks wanted to learn more, they can go to www.med.uvm.edu backslash public health. With that, uh, Dr. Carney, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to join us today and also for all the work you have done throughout your career and you're doing now to support public health. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And as always, remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>